Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Huevo. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, you have stopped in for a visit with your friend, Dr. Andrew Michaels. You are always welcome, and he invites you in for a conversation that, knowing him, could go in any direction. Good morning, and welcome. Today marks the third chapter in my Unseen Among Us series. This is probably the most important chapter and ties the last two together. In the past two episodes, I talk about how we would see and interact or not interact with the unseen over the years. And as a middle-aged man, I find myself meeting up with them again after so many years have gone by, not wondering if it was childhood fantasies and adventures that I thought something other than the truth was what I saw with my own eyes. You tend to play tricks on yourself. Did I really see my granddad talk to these people? Were they just homeless street people? Or was he really talking to someone of a different culture, a different nature? Who are these unseen people that look so different, smell so different, dress so differently than us, that seem to only interact when they choose to, only are seen when they want to be seen. Professional panhandlers, professional vagabonds, what are they really? It is strange, and I hope that I may uncover some of their secrets with this last episode and explain what I know now that I didn't know then. It was the year 2019 and things started to get out of hand with the coronavirus. The holidays were coming and world reports were just starting to mention some virus out of China. That Christmas season was when I first started seeing the people I refer to as the unseen again. I would see them at Walmart, Target, different places. They were in my field of vision again. I kind of smiled and 
didn't think much of it and just walked past thinking they are who they are. They're not committing any crimes. There's good and bad in all societies. If they're not doing anything wrong, leave them alone. So I chose to ignore them for this time period. As 2020 started to come along, we knew the name coronavirus, COVID-19 it was titled, and it began to ravage the whole world, and a pandemic was on the loose. And as history was repeating itself from 1918, things were getting out of hand very quickly. Some people were thinking it a hoax, a government conspiracy, not as bad as they say it is. And some people were genuinely terrified, mortified, and acting accordingly. There were rages at stores, runs on certain types of products, and you would see the unseen there in these little tiny quadrants of violence and anguish in between all the fighting and all the filming of these scenes you would see them in the corners of stores deftly picking up items trying to exit without being spotted this was when i first interacted with one in march of 2020 i saw one pickpocketing cold medicine I just made an offhand remark to the person as they walked past me, leaving the store. A disturbance was going on over toilet paper and paper products, and they used this moment to abscond without, with items they had stolen from the Walmart pharmacy. Security overwhelmed. The person just walked right out of the store with over a hundred dollars worth of cold medicines. I said, that's a little much for personal use, isn't it? And they looked at me, the shock and horror of me speaking to them openly in public, the acknowledgement that I had seen all their actions, saw what they were doing, and just offhandly remarked to them. They were stunned they didn't say a word. The mouth moved. They tried to form words. The person was frozen for a moment in abject terror. Realizing I wasn't going to harm them, they just turned and ran out of the store. I stayed a minute to think maybe just leave them alone, but I decided to follow along. And something very unique happened. I saw a lot of them. There was quite a congregation of the unseen outside the Walmart off to the side parking lot. The person came out, distributed the cold medicines, and they all went up into the weeds and the empty lot next to the Walmart in different directions. It was strange. I had never seen this kind of behavior, this kind of a gathering of these people. And they were afraid. They were getting out 
as fast as they could and going off in different directions. This was quite foreboding with the current conditions of the pandemic running rampant. And you know, this was March 2020, and we were just deciding on what to do and what to shut down and what time, types of safety concerns to take. And as 2020 dragged on, hope of a vaccine was on the horizon. Not one, not two, not even three, but many companies were breaking the genetic code all at once and designing a vaccine to combat the worldwide pandemic. And that's when I had my next encounter with the unseen. It was around November 2020. They had just announced that there was a vaccine coming out in a matter of weeks that people were going to start getting it in limited amounts in December. And as a government official, Dr. Andrew Michaels, part of the Navy Special Services, I was on a short list of people who was to get the vaccine in the front lines to help combat and curb its spread. I came out of my house to get in my car it was a cold, cold, cold November morning, and I went to scrape off my windshield when I realized there was somebody sitting inside my car. A young woman in her 30s, completely dressed in black, her long black hair matted, unclean, unbrushed, she was filthy from head to toe. She wore a black dress that looked like something a woman would wear in mourning for a funeral in the 19th century, frilly and lacy, many layers, a partial veil over her forehead and eyes, a hat that didn't even look right on a young or an old woman for the time, black square shoes with a hard wide heel up to her ankles. They lo looked more like a young boy's dress black shoe than something a woman would wear, and black thick wool stockings that went up and covered her legs. Everything about her didn't match anything you would expect a young person to wear. Her blacked out dirty face, her matted hair, her strange choice of clothing didn't even look right for the goth movement. It was strange. She looked almost like a ghost, like a ghastly ghoul that had crawled out of a sarcophagi in the middle of a cemetery. Luckily for her, I knew exactly who she was. She was one of them. And they had sent her to talk to me. I cleaned off my windshield enough to see 
And here's the strange part. I then walked over, opened up my driver's door, threw my brush into the back seat, climbed into the car, started it up, and let it heat up. I'm going to work. I don't know what you're doing here, I told her, but I'm going to work. It's what I do. So unless you have something to say to me, or something to give me, I'd like to end this interaction now. She turned to me, and in a strange, almost Pennsylvania accent, maybe you would know what I mean if I try to say what she said. She said, Yun's guys are getting a vaccine, right? Yun's guys. And I said, yes, that's right. It's coming out later this month. Hopefully by Thanksgiving time. And they should start distributing it in small populations sometime in mid-December. Looking down at her hands, covered in lace gloves, she said, Yin's guys plan on sharing that with everyone? I said, eventually. Eventually we will. Then she turned to me. And I couldn't believe the words she said. She said, are you Melvin Atlas? Graphus grandson. And I said, yes, that's my grandfather. Why do you ask? And she said, in 1950, he helped us with the other pandemic. He helped us with the vaccine. I said, okay, but you're going to have to explain a few things. Because my granddad didn't work for the government then, and he wasn't a doctor. So I don't understand why he was distributing. No, you don't understand, she interrupted. You don't understand. He helped us because of the polio. sense. In the 1950s, the first well-known and distributed polio vaccine had come out. I asked, oh, was your community ravaged by the polio epidemic? And she said, yes. And I said, well, what does that have to do with my granddad? I know what he did for a living. No, she said, interrupted again. You know what everybody thought he did for a living. But he was a government officer liaison to us then. He was the guy who represented 
Yun's government and gave us the tools to fight the polio. When she said tools, I assume the needles, the vaccination, and the means to administer it. Okay. So, let's get back to the beginning. What does that have to do with me? And she said that you're going to help us get the vaccine for this coronavirus. And I said, I am, am I? What makes you think that? And she looked at me very sadly with great sorrow in her eyes. She opened her mouth and moved it, but the words didn't come out. It was like the one at the store, like they didn't have the right words. They didn't have the right way of expressing themselves in certain situations. Fear would overtake her ability to talk. Finally, she said, if, if you don't help us, no one will. And she got up, unlocked the door, opened it up, and started to get out. I reached over and grabbed her by the wrist. And the door slammed and she went into a complete frozen mode. Touching her set off a strange reaction. She was immediately afraid. I wasn't going to hurt her, and I didn't even grab her with too much force just to acknowledge, stop, wait a minute. Let me say something. I'll try to help, but how do I contact you? And she said, you won't contact us. We contact you. Try to get the vaccine for us. You're the only one. And she ripped loose from my grip, opened the door and jumped out of the car and ran off into a field by my house and disappeared. My car smelled of the unclean, the unkept, the unwashed. Such a horrible smell. It's how they kept from being spotted in public. We train ourselves to ignore these things, to stay away from them. The body shuts off. The eyes and ignores these things, walk away, stay away, turn away, don't look. Offensive and obscene as these smells are. I turned the air up in my car and rolled the windows down and drove to work, trying to put the experience out of my mind. I went to my health liaison and explained that 
I couldn't give much details, but was there any way I could get my hands on some of the vaccine that was in such a short supply? And the answer was, of course, the government always under talks the amount of vaccine they really have available. And there was some available for different purposes if I could prove that I needed it. I put in the official paperwork and explained the situation. There were pockets of population that were getting ravaged by the coronavirus that were outside normal 21st century medical surveillance. The government understands this. And there were procedures set up for me to get the vaccine. I went to the health office to pick up a supply and take a medical tech with me to help distribute it properly amongst the population of the unseen. I didn't know how many doses to get, but I thought there couldn't be more than a thousand of them. So I figured I needed at least 2,000 doses of the two-shot vaccine to get started. I took the tech with me and asked if he would come back to, with me to my home. And then I would try to contact them or let them know and see if they would approach me. Back at my home, I asked my wife to make a nice meal and keep my company entertained while I went off into the field near the house and tried to contact the unseen. I didn't know anything else to do. I walked the short distance to the field, raised my hands, looking like a kind of a foolish man out in the field by himself, hands raised, waving. And then I said, if you can see me, I have a thousand doses of the vaccine. I can help your people. You have to come to my house. I have a technician there to help you. It's the best I could do. And I turned and walked back to my house. After dark, around 8, 8, 8 p.m., pitch black outside, there was a knock at my front door. I got up, excused myself from my wife and my company, and went to the door. To my absolute shock and amazement, there were over 200 of the unseen, every age, every shape and size, standing in my front yard. The smell was overwhelming. My wife immediately rose to her feet and said, what is that terrible smell? 
wanting to be seen. She was in shock when she saw the people standing there. I had calmly told her to expect company, and it might be a lot, but she was totally unprepared for this. I asked her to please calm down, make room for them to sit in the kitchen, pull all the chairs out, and we'll line them up. I asked the technician, who was just getting over the evening's drinks and supper, if he could start administering the vaccine right away. He walked up to the door and saw the amount of people and said he would do the best he could if we would help, would speed up the process. And I agreed. The first person in the door was the young girl who talked to me before. She said, are you serious? Do you have it? And I said, yes. She stepped back outside and turned to the group out there in my yard and said, his grandson has it. Melvin Atlas' grandson has it. Everybody take your turn, starting with you, and she pointed at some children. The children and the woman walked in and sat in the kitchen. The technician told me that children weren't allowed to have the shot yet. She looked at me with terror in her eyes, and so did the children. I said, well, it's not approved, but just do it anyway. He started administering the shot, first to the adult lady, and then her three children. And then we had them sit in the living room and wait for 15 minutes to make sure there was no adverse reaction, and then they would leave. And we did that. Four people at a time, four people waiting, four people getting the shot. It didn't take long before we were overwhelmed, and it was standing room only in the living room. People asking to use our bathroom, asking for food, asking for drinks. It turned into mayhem. But over the course of several long hours into the night, we eventually did the whole group, and as they left, they would melt into the darkness of the night. At the end of the line was the young girl who started it all, and she came in and undid the sleeve of her lace dress and rolled it up to get the shot. I said, you know, you're the last one of the evening. You waited a long time. Are you their leader? And she said, yes. Not really a queen, but the equivalent. She said, I speak your language more than they do. She took her shot and then just sat in the kitchen with me. I told her, in about two weeks, you'll all have to come back and get your second dose. Do you understand? And she said, yes. 
And then I said, will you tell me more about my grandfather? Why, why could he see you? How did he get to be an officer between you and the government? And she explained that they were a people who came from Europe to avoid persecution. Night people. People that were professional panhandlers. Professional vagabonds. But they avoided society for centuries and lived in peace amongst the people in Europe. But as technology and science had grown, their mystical, supernatural ways were getting overtaken by society. It wasn't safe for them to live in Europe anymore. They were being accused of being witches, communists, subversives, gypsies, and everything under the sun. Coming to America was a f way of freedom for them, as it was for many other people. And they relished the opportunity to live free amongst the people of the United States. But after the war, after every war, there was always a violent, natural reaction in the world. The Spanish flu of 1918 1919, ravaged their community. There were few of their number left. They, like so many other peoples of the world, were ravaged by it. And they did very poorly in protecting themselves from it. Panhandling, touching many hands, is a very dangerous business when there's a pandemic going around. In the 1950s, after World War II, weren't much better. For whatever reason, polio struck their community very hard. And when Jonas Salk invented the polio vaccine, they had no means of getting it. They begged my grandfather, a man who could see them, a man who could talk to them and communicate. Just like me. They asked him for help. He went to the government of the United States and told them, explained it. Being an upstanding citizen and a veteran, out of the blue, explaining this strange supernatural story to government officials seemed so odd but he had proof of it he took one of the agents of the government back and showed them the people showed them the situation showed how they were being devastated by polio because he took the time to help them to convince the government to help them he saved their people, not just a few lives, but saved their people. They were on the verge of extinction, and he turned it around by not giving up, by seeing it through, and helping them 
get the vaccination they needed. It's a beautiful story. And a simple one. A simple man who went to the effort to fight and make sure that some people got the medical help they needed. And he didn't quit until he convinced the government to do it. The mark of a real hero. And I was very proud of the story. I said, you said he was a government agent. I never knew that. I thought he was a mechanic. And he worked for a uh, lumber company, I think, when I was a young man. And I think he worked as a garbage collector for a small garbage company called City Ash in Youngstown, Ohio. And she said, that's it. He worked for the government. And I said, what? He was a garbage man. He didn't work for the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, he was a garbage man, was a worker for the government. And I laughed. And then it dawned on me. To them, a garbage man, they thought they were like government employees, like ambulance drivers police, firemen, a garbage collector to them was just another branch of the government. They didn't see them as just a company that collected trash. They saw them as part of the woven fabric of Western society. They thought my granddad was a low-level officer of the government that took care of the waste and trash of society. They thought he was the liaison officer that would be the one to contact for this. Because he could see them, because he worked for the government, he was the perfect agent to talk to. I didn't laugh. I thought it was an adorable story. I thought it was cool that a lowly trash man saved a whole group of people from extinction by rising up to the occasion and being one of the few people who could actually interact with them and see them. They only contacted me because they knew who I was. I was his grandson. And they knew I could see them and they knew I worked with the government. And they were glad to have me because these new trash men that take away all the garbage, they're so rude, they ignore them. They won't even talk to them when they try. And they chase them away from the dump. But my grandfather was a good man and he left them alone and he interacted with them as a friend. I know this is a simple story and a silly one. Maybe it's too silly, but 
I still had fun telling it. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. And I enjoyed talking about my granddad. He's been gone a long time. He died right before my first son was born. He never got to see him. And my grandmother died two weeks before him. Both of them had never really got to see that part of their family. But they got to meet my wife when she was pregnant, and those were good days. And I have fun, fun memories of that time, even though it was sad seeing them both waste away just months before the birth of my grandson, or their great-grandson. But it does tell you that life goes on and time goes forward. And we all have a part to play in the world. And there are always going to be people who rise up and do the right thing and help those less fortunate. And I'm proud to be a part of that lineage. Two weeks later, the group again came to my doorstep. The technician brought a helper this time to speed up the process, and everything went well. They drifted off as they got their booster shots, answered questions, and faded into the black of night. And then I never saw them again. Not at the stores, not at the markets, not at grocery stores trying to steal cold medicine or fight people over toilet paper. They quietly drifted off and waited out the pandemic. It's a good story, and hopefully it will continue to have a good ending because people were willing to work together to help each other not point fingers and not show hatred where kindness, civility, and generosity proved to be more useful. Thank you for joining me today. And the holidays are coming. Please tell me what you want me to do next. I would love to do some fun massage and personal attention videos to help you get through the holidays. So all suggestions are welcomed. Until I see you again, please have a most blessed day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huello. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence 
including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardewhale at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.